Worship his name this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hey, while you're standing up, turn around and say hello to someone. everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad you are here. My name is Dominic Nuncio, not Natalie Byer. I am the Executive Pastor of Ministry. Great to be with you. And I'm Natalie Breyer, Director of High School Ministries. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Whether this is your first time, your hundredth time, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for taking your Sunday morning. We're going to just spend a few minutes directing you to attention of what's going on in the life of our church. And before we do that, we just want to let you know why we exist as a church. We exist at La Jolla Community Church to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. So what we sing, what we do on the patio, the coffee that we drink, all of that comes from the central purpose that we want you to know Jesus more fully and be equipped to love him and express his love to the community around you. So that's what we do here. And we want to connect with you. Yes. And the best way we can do that is everybody has a bulletin. Let me see them. There we go. Oh, yes, there they are. For those of you who have been here for a while, you'll see that it looks a little bit different, a little bit more simplified. And if you're wondering, wait, how do I see more details? 
you can go to our website. Oh. That's really beautiful. Ariana has been putting countless of hours into this thing. So ljcc.org. If you see something on here that intrigues you, go check out the website. It is awesome. Um, but one important thing in here that's not on the website is our connect card. This is how we get to know you, uh, figure out how to connect you to the life of this church and anything specific that you're looking for. So fill this out. I already tore mine, but it does this, it tears, and then just put it into the baskets as the ushers come by. We also have a gift for you if you're our first-time guest. You can find us out on the patio afterwards. Those joining us online, hello oh, this morning. You guys hey. can wave. Hello. There's cameras everywhere. Don't worry. That sounds so weird. That is creepy. <laughs> Big Brother's not here, okay, I promise. We're just... Uh, good morning, everyone online. Uh, you can't fill out a Connect card, but you can email us. Let us know you're watching. We're glad you're with us this morning. On the back of that Connect card, there is a prayer request form. And the prayer request form, we just love to pray as a church. It's actually one of our values that we're people rooted in prayer. And so if you or someone you know has a prayer request, please take a moment, fill that out. And when the offering comes, you can just drop it in there. There's a team of men and women men and women who pray all week long for you and the staff takes time every Tuesday to pray for those requests as well so please take advantage of that two quick announcements and then we'll continue in our worship the the first is that we had a new members class last week was anybody here that was at the new members class a few of you hands yep I see you back there hiding awesome. don't be ashamed it was great um, <laughs> a great time to welcome our new members some entered into membership yeah. yep we had the opportunity as a church to pray for them last week, but those that are still interested and weren't able to come to this class, we're going to do another one in the fall at the end of August. We'll give you that date next week, but uh, a great time to find out and discover what we are doing as a church, why we exist, what we believe, ask questions, hang out with Steve, ask him how much he bench presses, whatever you want to ask him, and, uh, and then come and learn more. So there's already a group of 10 that are interested in that, so we'll let you know about that, but it's an awesome thing. Yeah, so save the date for that, and also save the date for August 19th. Uh, there's going to be a 5K walk and then a half marathon at Balboa Park, and members of LJCC and Team Garrett will be going um, in support of Garrett Bauman, who's a member here who has a genetic disorder. Uh, so they will be running, walking, anything in his name in support of him. And so if you would like to sign up for that, you can check out the website, or you can sign up on the patio. It's a really fun thing to be a part of in support of Garrett and just to wrap our arms around uh, that community. So there's that. Save the day. Yep. And then lastly, this is really exciting. We like to invite up our high school Guatemala missions team. That fun fact, they are leaving tonight. Hopefully they're all packed. I don't think they are, but they'll get there. Nope. Okay. All right. Still got some laundry Absolutely to do. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you guys can line up. We still have some, uh, some that they're meeting, I think, in Dallas um, and other places. But there's a total of 11. So this is Mark Manel. He's our assistant high school director. He's been serving here for over two years. Him and his fiance, Crystal, who they kind of met last year. Oh, so cute. Um, <laughs> yay, mission trip. Sorry. I know that's embarrassing. Um, Yay. So they led the team to the Dominican Republic last summer, and they signed up for round two to go to Guatemala. So kudos to you guys, your fearless leaders. We love you. So Mark, tell us what you're going to be doing. How can we be praying for you guys? And then we'll pray for you. So we'll be in a community just outside of Antigua in Guatemala, up in the mountains. We'll be there for two weeks, and we're staying in homes of families from the local church there. So all of us, two to four of us, will be in a home there and then all the kids will be working in a different ministry site and those will range from like healthcare to creative arts to agriculture or to education and sponsorship. Um, so we'll be doing a lot and we'll be all over the place and it's going to be a really cool time. You can pray for us. Um, first pray for uh, unity between the team and the members of the community. We got a lot of us. It's going to be a long week. And also pray for humility in that. And pray for just that we would be an encouragement to our new friends that we're going to meet in the church in Guatemala and the missionaries that are already there. And for perseverance and strength as the community is up in the mountains. So it's at 6,700 feet. Um, and we're there for two weeks and we'll be super uncomfortable. So perseverance and humility and grace. May they all abound. Uh, if you want to hear more, we'll be out on the patio after in the chat. Awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you is this your first missions trip? Okay, so some of them went last year. So for some of them, this is their first time, maybe out of the country, but for sure on a mission trip. So let me just pray for you guys really quickly. We're really excited and proud of you and excited to see what God has in store for you guys. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you are doing, not only in uh, 
San Diego, but globally, God, your kingdom is, is everywhere. So thank you for this opportunity for these students to be able to go participate in your kingdom in a totally different environment. Uh, God, you are already there. You're already working. And these students just get to humbly come um, alongside what you're doing there, partnering with your people. Uh, God, would this just be an awesome two weeks where they get to see you in new ways, serve you in new ways, maybe find out some things about you that they didn't know, maybe find some things about themselves that they didn't know. Uh, God, be with them. Give them patience. Give them uh, just your, uh, your power, your perseverance, all the things that they need this week. God, thank you for our leaders. Thank you for Crystal and Mark. Uh, be with them. Empower them as leaders. Give them patience and wisdom and discernment. For the next two weeks, uh, just guide them, Lord. We're so excited to see what you have in store for them. Thank you for their hearts um, that want to serve you and experience you in new ways. So we lift all of this up to you in your name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Woo. Well, this is fantastic. And uh, uh, Mission trips are for everybody, any age and stage. If you haven't done one, uh, you really deserve to give yourself that privilege. It's a privilege. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a burden. Uh, it's a gift uh, to do this. So uh, throughout the year, in fact, today, uh, we have uh, four women from this church, two of them uh, teens who will be taken off from Malawi. Uh, yesterday, we had a habitat build. Uh, a week ago, we had our crew down, another crew down in Mexico building a house. These are great occasions to get out of your routine, uh, to do something that will be transformational, not just for you, but certainly for you, but for other people in a way uh, you can't put into words until you actually do it. So thank you for being a great example uh, for us uh, to get our priorities right and to make these kinds of things a, a part of our life. So we will be praying for you for sure. Uh, and it's going to be easy. <laughs> tell you what, the easiest part is leaving and coming home. In between, it's a little challenging, and that's where God meets us. Well, I want to introduce you to a young man uh, where God, God has met him in a neat way. Uh, this is Anwen Zheng Chen, and he is eight years old. Come on up, Anwen. So Anwen, uh, why don't you stand uh, here so they can see a little bit better. Uh, step up one step, if you would. So, uh, so two years ago, his brother Ander... Uh, said that he wanted to be baptized, and he had a very articulate reason for being baptized and what it meant to him, and so uh, he set a high standard that, that uh, Anwen uh, is emulating. He said, I saw my big, what my big brother did. I want to do that uh, as well, and um, so here he is. So thank you, and this is on the occasion of his uh, eighth birthday, and so uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Actually, technically, it's next week, but eight, eight years old. So, uh, Anwen, uh, why do you want to be baptized, and what does it mean to you? I want to be baptized is because I want to be a follower of Jesus instead of Satan. <laughs> Baptism means to me, first, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all for our sins so that we don't have to, and that he is our creator, savior, and king. Second, we sh I will behave. I will <laughs> I'll do what God tells me to do in the Bible and serve other people in God and to only glorify God. After I am baptized, I will think before I speak then, act, and um, do my best work, be kind to one another, and Obey my mother and father and all of the people God appoints over me. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, by the way, Onwen is available for consultation with any of you out there. Uh, the, the doctor is in, and uh, uh, we, again... Uh, He's an articulate young man, and it's because he's taken the time to think about what he believes. He's taken the time not only to think about what he believes, but to think about what kind of behavior would proceed from that belief. And not only to think about what he believes and what behavior would reflect that belief, but what could I do to bless other people as Jesus is and has blessed me? Uh, so that pretty much puts it together in terms of what it means to be uh, 
uh, an equipped person, an everyday person following Jesus every day. So thank you for articulating that so beautifully for us, uh, for sharing uh, your faith with us, and also this moment where you feel like this is a time for you to publicly declare your faith. And uh, I should say, we, we baptize people in, in very many modes. Today we're going to sprinkle some water. Sometimes we, it's in hot tubs, sometimes it's down at the shores. Uh, it, it's not the means or the mode, it's the person. It's a confession of Jesus' uh, grace in your life. When we baptize babies, that's a confession of the parents to be a, a pastor to their children. Uh, all, of it, all of it counts. Uh, the, the, the question is, have you been baptized? Are you ready to be baptized? Uh, if you've been baptized as an infant or, or a young child, are you living into the promise of that commitment and covenant that God has called out of you and is, and is, and is, and is putting into you? If you haven't been baptized yet, what's holding you back? Do not wait until you think you're perfect enough because it'll never happen. Immediately that you realize, I need God's grace to be me in my best version, that's when you want to be baptized. So if, if right now God is working on your heart to say, you know what, you need to be baptized, you need to confess your faith publicly, uh, talk to us afterwards. Talk to me, Dom, uh, Natalie, uh, Ian. Ian's on vacation, but talk to anybody on our staff, and we'd like to help you schedule that, whether it's a, whether it's a big group or, or individually, okay? So, Anwen Zheng Chun, child of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we pray for this young man. We thank you uh, for his godly parents, for his mother and father who uh, likewise confessed their faith in you and were baptized in this place. We thank you for the influence of his older brother, uh, Ander. We thank you, Lord, for his uh, darling sisters and for this family you've, you've given him. We pray, Lord, that everything he said here would be uh, the case. It would be actually what looks like in his life one day at a time as he walks with you. We pray, Lord, that his witness would not only inspire us here, but uh, everybody he knows and uh, who meets him. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless him in every way, provide what he needs through the hard times, through the good times, that at all times, Lord, he would know that you are with him and he is your beloved uh, and you are his. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we have a statement, don't we? I think we have a statement we want to make. So um, we have a statement to make uh, to the whole family. And, and so if you join me in saying this, uh, Aaron and Elizabeth, you have pledged to be faithful ministers of God's love and grace in Unwin's life. This is a high and holy calling, and we believe God will provide everything you need to fulfill it. Stay close to him and trust in him always. We are here to encourage you and pray for you. May God bless you and this child in every way. Amen. If you are a family and you want to walk with God, we want to do everything in our power to help you do that. And this is a beautiful example of that. So thank you for your family blessing us today. God bless you. And now, you can sit down. Uh, we will continue worshiping God as the offering of the morning is now received. This is uh, for those who are followers of Jesus who say, I want to contribute to what God is doing in this church. Some of you contribute through uh, stocks and bonds and, and, and all kinds of other ways. So sometimes it goes by and, and you feel a little awkward that I'm not putting anything in. I already did. This is a time to then stop and just say, Lord, I'm offering me to you. And if you're not a, a, a part of this church, you don't feel the pressure to contribute. We simply are taking the time to recognize God's inestimable gift in us through his grace that we want to respond accordingly as we worship him. So let's worship him as the offering of the morning is now received.
Happy summer, and the sun has come out. It's been so nice. It's been so dreary the last few weeks uh, with the marine layer, and uh, I, I always feel so bad when I see people walking around in parkas in La Jolla <laughs> that have come from some faraway place. They made their plans a long time ago, and I feel like it's my, my civic responsibility to walk up and apologize to them for the fact that there's no sun shining. So today is not a day to apologize, is the day to celebrate uh, that we're in summer and it's gorgeous. And so summer is traditionally a time for refreshment and vacation. I hope you have planned something, you're thinking of, of doing something to, to, um, to change up your pace. But what kind of vacation do you need? Uh, we all have different ways of having a vacation. Some people like to relax, hang out at the beach. Uh, some people like a little bit more adventure. Some people like to go it alone into faraway places. Whatever you need, uh, do your best to make it happen. And... Uh, don't be tempted to work through uh, a season that is meant to give us an excuse uh, to take a break, uh, to get some time to uh, change things up and get a, a fresh perspective. So here's where we're going to go. Uh, the first point of the morning, we all need time to refresh our soul and spirit. This is just a given. This is a theological given. Uh, God said, you know, work six days, rest on the Sabbath. Your Sabbath may or may not be on Sunday. There are crazy schedules nowadays. Uh, people work on Sundays, of course, so uh, my Sabbath isn't on Sunday. My Sabbath is Monday through Saturday. Um, <laughs> and then as I drive over here, I think about what should I say? Uh, no, so we all need to find a time to, to, to live that rhythm of work and rest. And then we need some longer times. That's what vacations are about. And so uh, you all need uh, time to refresh your soul and spirit. I want to talk for a moment about these two complicated, uh, complex terms that we use all the time, uh, soul and spirit. I won't ask for a, for a show of hands, but, but if, if I was to ask anybody to just stand up and deliver right now, could you tell us uh, and distinguish between soul and spirit? Um, it, it's a tricky one. Wouldn't you agree? You can nod your head. If you can do nod your head. It's a tricky thing. So let me, let me do my best at this. Uh, yesterday, we had a, a board retreat. Fanta we have, you have a fantastic uh, board of trustees. We had a, a retreat 
And uh, one of the things I learned at the retreat was that, that Einstein came up with five signs of intelligence. It was a little bit disconcerting not to see any that I possess on the list, but um, uh, one comes close, and, and that was the last one, the best one that he said, was this is the best indicator of intelligence, was to be able to make things simple. Simple. Now, let me, let me give a, some, you know, that's true, but, but I, 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 I wish I would have had time to, to maybe give more context to that yesterday, because here's the context. Simplistic is different than simple. Simplistic means I've never done it, I don't know what it is, but how tough could it be? Everything is simplistic until you have to do it or understand it. I was never ill-prepared for a test in my entire career as a student because it was simplistic. Until I actually faced the test, and then I realized I was woefully ill-prepared uh, for that test because I had underestimated it. Simplistic means I don't even know what the issues are. As soon as you take on anything, a belief, a behavior, you move immediately from simplistic to complex. All of a sudden, wow, this is harder than I thought it was. But if you hang in there long enough, if you work hard enough and smart enough and, and, and bring in as many wise counselors and, and, and uh, people to give you encouragement, mentors, friends, experts, whatever, you will find eventually you'll move from the simplistic through the complex to simple. And you'll start to understand things in a way you never did when you first started. If you miss that complex piece, you'll never grow. If you're in a time of, in your faith right now where it's feeling very complex, there's too many things you can't answer, too many questions that are overwhelming you, too many people criticizing you for your faith, you want to throw your hands up, hang in there. <clears throat> Use those occasions as goads, as, as motivators to say, what is it that I don't know that I need to know? The answers are there. Hang in long enough to get them. I want to say this to anybody who's married who's having a hard time. If right now you're in a very complex time in your marriage, hang in there. It's not just hanging in there that will resolve it to simple. It's working at the issues, seeking understanding, wisdom. I'm telling you this because this is such a, a, a basic formula for life. When it gets hard, that's when you want to say, ah, I'm getting the value of my tuition. Our youngest daughter, her first day at Bishop School, came back and said, Dad, I think I'm in the wrong place. Way too hard here. I said, you know, Megan, that is such good news. It means you're, we're getting the value of the tuition. She goes, Dad, it's not helpful. <clears throat> and I just said, these teachers want to teach you how to learn. So forget worrying about the grades. Forget about how much you don't know. Thank God that you're in a place that will teach you things like how to learn. And when she was at Oxford University, she thanked me. <laughs> because she said, you know, their whole thing there is teaching you how to learn. That's what I learned at Bishop School. It's not that hard. So take that with you. And as we jump into this, I want you to keep that in mind. Because you are a soul. If you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You are a soul. Your very being indicates that you have a soul. You are a soul and you have a spirit. Now, there's two words that are, that are used in Hebrew and Greek for soul. Nefesh is the Old Testament word. The New Testament word, the Greek word. The Hebrew word is nefesh. The Greek word is uh, suche. We know it from psychology. Psychology originally was a study of the soul. Why? Because the soul um, encompasses the entire being of, it, of a person. And so psychologists want to understand the whole person. And we've made it more secular. We've made it more secular, but really it starts with the way God wired us. You want to understand who you are, understand your soul, nourish your soul. But you have a spirit. Uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach, the breath of God, the wind of God. In the New Testament, it's in Greek, it's pneuma, like pneumonia, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. In any case, they're talking, they're talking about something that you cannot see, but you can experience. So if some, some smart alecky person who is not a believer and is antagonistic toward you being a believer says, oh, right, you've got a soul, and you are a soul. Oh, that's good news. Uh, can you show me where it is? Can we weigh your soul? Uh, which is to miss the whole point. This person is hopelessly lost in, in being simplistic. Because it's like saying, I don't believe in love because I can't weigh it. I went to a museum, they had everything that was important in human culture, and they didn't have a, a little case with a stand with a soul on it. It must not exist. It didn't, I didn't see any with love on it. That must not exist either. It's like the wind. You can, you can experience it, but you can't see it. 
Nobody would be foolish enough to say, uh, the wind is irrelevant, I'm going sailing today. Uh, they, they, they expect big storms, but I, I'm not worried. Because the wind really doesn't exist, I can't see it, it doesn't exist. It's really hard with you when you've been demasted and capsized, and the Coast Guard says, why were you out here today? Didn't you know it was going to be windy? Well, of course, we all know that wind does not exist, don't we? You'd sound pretty foolish. So you can't weigh your soul, but your soul can weigh you down. But you can lift it up. This scripture from Psalm 43. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Interesting, the psalm writer saying, I am so bummed out, I am so depressed. Perhaps you are bummed out and depressed about something. Perhaps you're more bummed out and depressed than you've ever been in your life. Maybe you're thinking that life is not worth living. I hope you don't think that very long. All you are is in a very complex time, and God wants to meet you there and take you through that. Don't give up. The psalm writer said, what do I do? My soul is so distressed. I know, I'll turn my attention to the living God. So what can he say? Hey, I know my soul, we're weighed down, aren't we? But I'm going to put my hope in God. I will yet praise him in the, in the midst of this. The psalm writer in Psalm 40 said, Lord, where are you? I'm in this dark pit on my own. This is horrible. And then the psalmist realizes God's with him in the pit. It changed everything. It's, oh my gosh, you're in the pit with me. And God lifted him out of the pit. If you're in a pit, God will lift you out. Seek him. Wait for him. Go after him. Respond to him because he's coming after you. And so you can't weigh your soul, yet you can weigh it down or lift it up. Likewise, you can't measure your spirit, but spiritual health is a measure of well-being. Uh, you know, there's a whole movement of mindfulness, sweeping schools, organizations. Uh, there's nothing wrong with mindfulness. Mindfulness is a very good thing. The problem is we detach it from its source, the one who made our mind. And so if you want to minister to your soul and you want to get in touch with that yearning for spirituality and all you do is settle for mindlessness, oh, did I say mindlessness? Because <laughs> that's what you're settling for. You're, you're in a spin cycle. You're like a, a, one of those you know, little deals where the, there's a wheel on the, and the little hamster's running around the wheel thinking he's making great time. So you can't measure your spirit, but spiritual health is a measure of well-being. And so we see in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So let me see if I can make it even more simple about this whole idea. So my second point would be this. That soul, spirit are integrated and interchangeable in the Bible. The Bible doesn't make a strong differentiation between the way it uses soul and the way it uses spirit. Except in this regard. Um... Uh, Mary, uh, on hearing the news that she's going to conceive the Messiah, a shocking, scandalous thing. And you see this in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and by the way, all these references, we don't have time to look up, up in the Bible while I'm going through them, so just write them down and look, in, look them up later and reflect on them in context. She says, my soul, my soul, my very being, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Interesting, she uses... In her, this song is called in Latin, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. And in the song, she, she uses traditional Hebrew poetry, which is a parallel line. The first line is repeated in the second line. The first phrase is repeated in the second. And so if you want to understand the Psalms or any Hebrew poetry, you're looking for this parallelism. Because the second line is reinforcing the first. The first line sets you up, the second line brings it home. So the first line here is, my soul glorifies the Lord. And then she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So soul and spirit are parallel. Lord and then God, my Savior, are parallel. So what's she saying? In order for my soul to glorify the Lord, my soul must, my spirit must rejoice in God, my Savior. See the power of that? The linkage? So here's where you can go with that. Soul is the defining aspect of our God-given humanity. Your being is described as a soul because it's that defining aspect of our God-given humanity. A fully developed soul is a, is a fully alive person. And then spirit is our God-given capacity to be a soul in relationship to God. If it's still feeling very complex to you, that's okay. But stick with this because it's going to become simple at some point. You're going to realize, yes, Lord, you have created me as a soul. 
and given me the capacity to be in relationship with you. And that's my spirit. Your influence in my soul gives me a spirit and a spiritual identity in you. And that's why when people talk about wanting to be spiritual, I'm very spiritual. What it means is they're very curious or hungry or yearning. But when a person says, I know the Lord, their spirit is so alive, what you do is praise him. You confess him. You exalt him. You, you, you want more of him. And you don't become religious, you become alive. And that's what this is about, having an alive soul expressed in a way that connects you intimately, spirit to spirit, with the living God. And so we can see Jesus saying things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not, hey, blessed are you because you're poor, or blessed are you because you, you are so spiritually poor. He's saying, hey, good news for you. Because in the midst of your poverty that you can never fully satisfy on your own, the kingdom of heaven has everything you need to satisfy your soul and to be spiritually alive. That's an incredible promise from God. What we cannot do, he does. Where we can't go, he, he meets us and takes us where we need to go. And so I want to look at uh, four ways to refresh your soul and spirit uh, this summer. And these are pretty traditional ways, but I want to come at them uh, uh, again in a fresh way to put them in perspective that, that no vacation is complete or effective without these things in them, okay? So first of all, it's God's word. God's inspiring word fills us and refreshes us. And I'm using the word ins inspiring on purpose. Again, it's that ruach of God, the, the pneuma of God, the breath of God, blowing life into us, animating and invigorating and energizing our soul, our very being. And so God's inspiring word fills us and refreshes us. How? It's because it's God's word speaking and telling us our story. And it's God's word telling us in a way we would never have access to otherwise God's promises and God's work in the world. I used to have, a, I used to, I've known many people over the years. When I was first exploring Christ and reading stuff and thinking about it, I had friends who said, yeah, I'm on a spiritual search also. And then later when I, I, I said, you know what, Jesus is the Lord and the Savior for all kinds of reasons. And I committed myself to him. I started going in him. I had more friends who would say, oh, that's cool, man, but I, I'm, I'm searching for God. And as I went, I went to, after business school, I went to graduate school in theology, and I studied theology. And then my friends would say, oh, yeah, it's cool, man, because I'm still searching for God. And then I, what it dawned on me, what I realized is, what I meant when I said that before I met Jesus is what my friends still meant, it, and it's this. I want to find a belief in an ideology, a philosophy, or a religion that reinforces all my sins and then gives me a, an A-plus for that. I want to find some ideology that affirms me in my sinfulness and says, that's awesome, man. And by the way, you're so spiritual, too. That's the one I was looking for. And all I could come up with was after reading all this stuff, finally out of desperation and nothing else to, to read, I pick up the Bible, and the first thing I read is, hey, by the way, you're lost. Well, that's not very encouraging. And here's why you're lost. You're pursuing all the wrong things in all the wrong ways, and the one that you want to pursue is me. I made you for me, and these things that you think are satisfying you are not. That's why you're searching for me. And so what I learned is that my friends wanted what I wanted as a high school kid, but they never gave up wanting that because what they wanted they could never get, and they knew they could never get it because they could always say, well, you know, I'm on a spiritual search. I've not yet found it. And it was for them a hall pass from having to be accountable to the living God. And of course, the fact is they will never find it because they can't provide what God alone can provide. And so the, the word of God tells us what we couldn't know without him telling us. The second thing we need for God's word to be really, oh, let me read the scripture that supports this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The writer of Hebrews is not saying there's a division between soul and spirit necessarily. He's saying the word of God takes you to that core place where soul and spirit come together. And so he uses this odd uh, butcher uh, meat analogy. So for a few moments, I just beg forgiveness from all you vegans and vegetarians. Um, by the way, I am a vegan, a raw vegan, a regular vegan, and a vegetarian. I just really like meat. And so um, in this example, he's saying take a joint of, of meat. And there's a bone there. And when you get through that bone, all of a sudden there's this rich stuff called marrow. It's the ultimate umami effect. 
And he's saying the spirit and the soul come together where the word of God leads us to the core of who we are. Very, very powerful. And what helps that happen? The Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is God's inspiring presence, teaching and empowering and, and refreshing us. The very person of God comes into our life and doesn't so take up our life that there's no room for us, but actually gives us life that has our clear identity. Not robbing us of life or taking our life away. That's what, when Satan possesses a person, Satan robs that person of their identity. When anybody co-ops your identity, a person or, or a, the demonic influence, it robs you of your identity. You're the walking dead. You're a zombie of, of sorts. But the Holy Spirit gives you life and clarity on who you are and who you're becoming. And so it's God's Holy Spirit that takes the word and makes it a living, powerful, uh, if having a, a living and powerful effect in our lives. So this is what Isaiah uh, spoke, God inspiring him to say, for this is what the high and exalted one says, Isaiah says, who lives forever, whose name is holy. And now he's, he's quoting God. He said, God is saying, I live in a high and holy place. That's a place you can never get to on your own. I live in a high and holy place, but also I'm with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. These are descriptions of people who are saying, I admit that I don't have what I need. Contrite means I've come to the conclusion I don't have what it takes to fulfill this spiritual quest I'm on. I'm always seeking, never finding. Lowly in spirit means you're saying, I'm going to humble myself enough to say, Lord, I will receive the gift that you want to give me. This was the covenant of Israel. This is the new covenant in Christ, giving us a gift that God wants us to have because he loves us. And he wants to revive us and revive the heart of the contrite. On this trip to Guatemala, there will be some low moments when you go, why did I ever come on this trip? More importantly, why did you ever come on this trip? You know, and, 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 and uh, at that point, you're thinking, do I have enough money to send them home? Um, do I have enough money to send me home? At that point, that's when you're, that's, you're now in the complexities of human relationships in a place you, where you don't live at high elevation. And at that point, you say, Lord, help me to humble myself to see that this person is made in your image and I am made in your image and we have no idea how to get along. Would you help us reconcile with you and with one another? That's not humiliation, that's humility. That's not saying I'm worthless. It's saying I'm worth so much that only God can show me my true worth. So I'm going to stop posing and pretending and forcing my will on everybody and I'm going to invite God to help us sort it out. That's powerful. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we see Jesus saying this at his final meal, at his final Passover meal with his disciples. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. It's not just me or you trying to figure out God's word or figure out God's life. It's the Holy Spirit saying, I will show you if you'll trust me. I will show you if you'll obey me. That was the beautiful thing that Anwen said. Because I now belong to God in baptism. I am his beloved. His spirit indwells me. I will commit to learn how to live out these behaviors because I know they will be best for me and that'll be a way I can bless other people. Powerful. Culture changing. Relationship changing. Bad marriages get reconciliation. Bad relationships get reconciliation. Bad motives turn into better motives because you realize I've been pursuing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. And so then that puts us back into this relational perspective. Do we just need the word of God and the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, but it's not the complete story. God made us to be in relationship, not only with him, informed by his word, empowered by his Holy Spirit, but with one another. This is the sweet spot, so to speak. God's work, or God works through inspired and inspiring people to refresh us. Some of the most inspired and inspiring people you know, you'll get to know because they're in Guatemala with you. And you're going to all of a sudden be sitting around in a circle, probably talking at some point, and especially toward the end of the trip, going, these people are awesome. I feel so close to them. I didn't know some of them very well, or I knew them, but I, now I know them way better. And we've gone through some conflict together. We've worked through some complexities. And all of a sudden, these people are God's presence to me. And you'll be saying things like this. Remember that day when I was really out of it and I was really snippy and having a, a lot of big feelings? And, 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 and you just put your hand on me and you said, you know, 
we're going to get through this together, and I'm praying for you. I could have hit you. <laughs> Instead, I took it as a gift from you, and it really was. See the power of this, these relationships? Uh, Paul, uh, at the lowest point in his ministry, is so bummed out. He's all alone in the sense that he's, people are, are, are turning against him. He's got major pressures from every angle. He, we think he might have even had a, a nervous breakdown at this point. Uh, his issues with the Corinthians, and uh, he had organized this big offering. The people in Jerusalem were starving from a famine. And he said, hey, we need to help these people. So all these churches, most of them now, uh, some Hebraic, mostly Gentile people, are saying, yeah, we're going to contribute. So all this money was given, and it was coming from Philippi. And, and the guy who was delivering Epaphroditus was, had gone missing. And they thought, oh, great ball. Some guy took our money. Nice idea. And so he's bummed out. And he, and he writes to the Philippians and he says, Hey, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I'm desperately in need of affirmation and encouragement, he's saying. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the normal human condition. That shouldn't shock us or surprise us. That's just the way it is in the world. Man, you're on your own. But when all of a sudden Jesus comes into the mix through his word and his spirit, you start to see people as gifts from him, extensions of his hands and his feet. And he's saying, I can't send you a better person. The guy that's closest to me and I need the most, I'm sending him to you to bless you. Then... He continues in the letter. He says, hey, but I think it's necessary to also send back to you Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, we thought he'd gone, you know, south with our money. No, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. So the fact that he went missing was that he was almost dead. He has this hard time getting to Paul through sickness, and maybe he was mugged or something along the way. But he gets there. He's practically dead. Paul revives him. He comes back into health. And what Paul wants them to know is, this guy blessed me, and I'm sending him back to bless you. Finally, Paul writes this letter called Philemon. It's a one-chapter letter. And Philemon was a wealthy business guy in a place called Colossae. He uh, was a phenomenal Christian man in the community. He had slaves. He treated them well. But people still had slaves. And one of his slaves named Onesimus, whose name means useful, ran away. And he, he somehow, he, he finds Paul. Paul leads him to Jesus. Paul treats him like an adopted son. And then Paul goes, hey, you know, at some point you got to go back and face the music. And by the way, I'm going to go see Philemon pretty soon anyway. I'm going to send you first with a letter. You're going to deliver a letter to him. Because this guy has done so much for me, and, and I know I've done a lot for you, but it's what he would have done for you in my position. Crazy situation, right? One of the greatest diplomatic letters ever written. And so he starts by saying this, Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul's speaking out of his own experience. This guy was golden to him. And now, not in a manipulative, exploitive way, he's saying, hey, and good news, the guy that was useless to you, remember him, Onesimus, the useful one? I'm sending him back, but now he's not a runaway slave. He's your returning brother in Christ, your son in Christ. What you've done to bless the hearts of God's people and refresh them, do for him. This is part of a powerful thing. We're called to bless people that sometimes we do not feel like blessing. I guarantee in the next two weeks in Guatemala, I can tell you that probably yesterday sometime during the day at the Habitat Build, a bunch of people did here in San Diego from our church, there were some moments when, really? <laughs> You're on this, why are we doing this together? The people who were in Mexico last week from our church building a house, you think they might have had some moments when they said, why am I doing this? Especially in the traffic on the way home. <laughs> why did I think about this? Because you want to bless people in Jesus' name. So the final thing, in addition to to God's word and his spirit and God's people. It's God's world. God's world. God uses inspiring places and experiences to refresh us. Places like Yosemite, Big Sur, Alaska, London, Mykonos, Cabo, Malawi, Guatemala. And so we see in God's word, the heavens, the creation itself declares the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. 
uh, when some people following the resurrection of Jesus were so bummed out that they didn't know he'd resurrected, they just knew that he had died, crucified horribly on a Roman cross, and they said that he had risen from the dead, but we haven't really heard any confirmation. And these two people are walking about six miles from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them. And they're really bummed out, and he says, why are you bummed out? And he says, where have you been? Uh, don't you know what's going on here? And they don't recognize him as Jesus. And he explains to them. He explains to them through the, the Tanakh, the Torah, the, Nevi, uh, the uh, Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the law, the prophets, and the writings. He takes the whole Old Testament and says, this is what happened and why. And it, they said, oh, whoa. Oh, my gosh. And also they recognized him as Jesus. And so they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road? A road trip with Jesus. Can you imagine that? And opened the scriptures to us. Wow. I hope you get to take a road trip or some kind of vacation and do not neglect to invite Jesus on the trip. Invite Jesus to Guatemala. I know the people invited him to be part of the Habitat yesterday. I know the folks going to Mexico to build a house last week invited Jesus to go with them. I know the folks that are uh, Mary Carmen and some other, we have four women and two teenagers, I said, going to Malawi uh, today. Uh, they've invited Jesus. And when they get to Malawi, they go, whoa, you're already here. You're already here. Uh, and it's going to be a different trip. It won't be just be an interesting trip to Africa, seeing desperately poor people uh, doing some really heroic things. It's going to be, you know, I saw Jesus at work in me, from them to me, and then through me to them. And so refresh your soul through God's word, his Holy Spirit, people, world. We all need it. We all thrive on it. Um, but here's the important thing to keep in mind. It doesn't have to cost you any money. Do not use money as an excuse. You can see right here in San Diego. You don't necessarily need to spend money, but you do need to spend time. Time, the most, most valuable commodity we have. You don't necessarily need to leave home, but you do need to leave your routine. So I hope you change your routine. If you can't get out of town for any number of reasons, I hope you take a staycation with Jesus in San Diego. If you want to see the northern part of the county, get a visa, go up there, uh, see if you can get through. Um, uh, go, to, go to Birch Aquarium. I've lived here for almost 25 years. I've never been there. It's because I'm on my way there, and I just go a little further to the Torrey Pines Lodge to get a burger. I don't know why, but the burger always seems to win out. Um, take a local vacation. Here's the deal. Ultimately, refreshing, this is the fourth and last point. Ultimately, refreshing your soul and spirit is an act of holy communion. We'll celebrate that now. Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. It's all about drawing close to God who refreshes the essential and eternal you. The essential you, your soul. The eternal you, your spirit, invigorating your soul. There's no excuse for you not to take a time of refreshment this summer. Do not neglect to invite God to go with you. Because if you don't, it'll just be, yeah, we did stuff. If you take him with you, you'll say, you know, we did all this really fun stuff. And every time we were in the middle of it, somehow I would be reminded of the Lord. He would remind me of his abiding presence with me. He'd give me a new and fresh perspective on this. It was awesome. The best vacation I ever had. All right? So let's draw close to him in holy communion right now. Thanks, Steve. I'd like to invite up our communion servers for the morning. I love this idea of, of being refreshed. Like Steve said, it's summer. We're all looking for ways to find refreshment this season. And sometimes we end up needing a vacation from our vacation, right? Uh, but what's truly refreshing is just being with our Father, uh, being connected to the source of life. Uh, John 15 says that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do no good thing. So apart from him, we can't truly be refreshed, that soul refreshment. So communion is, is refreshing because it's a moment that we stop and we recognize who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ on the cross and what that means for my life and that he calls me his beloved, his daughter, and his sons. And he says that you don't, you don't have to earn your love. You don't have to prove yourself for, for his love. He's just saying, you're my beloved. That's the title that you've been given. And you can throw off every other title that the world gives you that you've been trying to earn. You just go, huh, I'm 
I'm his daughter. I'm his son. That's refreshing, right? That's refreshing to think about. So in communion, we, we come to him and just remember who we are and who he is, and that is refreshing. And in communion, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was with his disciples, and they were sharing a meal, and he took the bread, and, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he said, this is my blood that is, that is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we come to the table and we remember, we are refreshed by who God says we are and who he is in our life. And if you have not made the decision to call Jesus your Lord and Savior, we invite you to sit and reflect on what that might mean for your life. If you do call Jesus your Lord and Savior, then this meal is for you. Enjoy this moment with your Father. There will be two stations in the back and two up front. And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we so recognize that we are so flawed and so sinful. Uh, God, we choose so many other things to try to fill up our lives, and we look for so many other ways to be refreshed that aren't you. Uh, so we just come before you, and we, we repent. Um, God, thank you for calling us your beloved children, despite of who we are sometimes and despite of what we do. Uh, God, would this just be a moment that we know that you're present with us, that we can come to you and say, oh, I need you right now, or I am sorry for this, or... God, I need help with, with this. I need wisdom and discernment. Would this just be a moment that you refresh us and you speak to us, God? We so want to hear you. So we thank you for this community. We thank you for uh, people that we get to grow and struggle alongside. Um, we thank you for a community that points us back to you. So we love you. Thank you for this uh, moment that we get with you. In your name, amen. Your glory. 